Art of the Kickstart, number 49. Welcome to theartofthekickstart.com, where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness. Inventors are innovating and creating the products of the future, and backers stand strong for what they believe. These are some of the great thinkers, inventors, and leaders of our time. Here are their stories. Hey guys, one of the biggest challenges and questions that I've been getting quite a bit from inventors and innovators out there, and just things I've seen from over 50 plus podcast interviews, is some of the challenges that people have when they're launching their Kickstarter campaign. They want to know, do they have everything ready? Is there anything they missed? So I just put together a checklist. 23 steps to make sure your Kickstarter campaign is absolutely ready to dominate when you launch. You guys can get that for free by going to artofthekickstart.com slash checklist. Just signing up and hopefully that will help you launch your campaign hassle-free and just get it off the ground and running smooth. Hey guys, welcome to Art of the Kickstart. Today I'm super pumped to have John Galley, one of the founders over at Orion for Sight, the company that's really revolutionizing sunglasses technology for the world. Thanks so much for coming today, John. Pleased to be here, Matt. Thanks so much for coming today, John. I'm really excited to have you. First thing when we get into these interviews, a life quote, a success quote. You got something good for people? Yeah. If you will do what others won't, you will have what others don't. That is absolutely awesome. It's just that, it's that old adage of working hard to really, really be able to play hard. And you guys are doing that. Your campaign funded five days ago. You raised almost $350,000. You dominated Kickstarter. But first, let's get into this. What is Orion for Sight? Take us back to your days in the military and your days, Megan, this technology. Well, I really have to give all of the technical credit to my partner, Kirk Kreitzig. All of the Orion technology is based upon four patents that Kirk has. And these emerged over a period of time developing a vision enhancement technology that for years has been sold to the military, various what we would call dark ops groups, the Navy SEALs, Rangers, people that do stuff, stuff that scares the crap out of me. They're the ones who really value using our products. And I must say that it's not only in eyewear that we have this technology. We have it in other kinds of vision enhancement products that the military finds very, very useful. So that is an activity that we've had for, well, well over a decade. And we've always known that the big enchilada would be to find a way to take this technology and position it in some consumer-oriented product. And we felt that the most obvious target for that would be sunglasses. I mean, everybody in the civilized world wears sunglasses. You don't go outside for any length of time without sunglasses. So we thought that this would be a perfect product fit for the technology. And because what we have is performance-driven, it gives people a performance edge, then that is our differentiator. We're not like what I say in our Kickstarter project, 99% of ordinary sunglasses are nothing more than colored glass and frames. And we're obviously a step beyond that with our technology that gives people a vision-enhanced experience. So that's kind of how it all came about. And, you know, so we're, we're off to the races in a whole new direction with uh, Orion Foresight, which is what we call our sunglasses. 
So it's really cliche to say, but a picture is worth a thousand words. It's tough for people to understand just what you're talking about. Try to describe for people what it's like to wear Orion sunglasses. What's the experience like? Well, usually the first thing, well, you need to be very careful here that most of the experiences that we're able to give people at this time are with our military eyewear, which is not sold to the public. But that is the basis for what we're doing with the sunglasses. Tweak our formula a little bit for a variety of reasons that I won't get into here, mostly to make them more effective as sunglasses, as well as to not necessarily include certain capabilities that aren't necessarily appropriate for sunglasses. But the usual response to people when they put on our eyewear, they usually the first words out of their mouth are, wow. And so when you ask them to try to be more specific, these are a lot of the kinds of comments that you get. People will say, all of the images are better defined. They have better definition. There's a better contrast between the objects that you're looking at. Some people say things simply look crisper. Other people will say they just kind of jump. Most people feel that colors seem more intense and saturated. People, when they wear our eyewear for more extended periods of time, they say that they find that they don't typically feel the kind of eye strain or even eye headaches that they get from being out in the sun for extended periods of time. They're very comfortable wearing the eyewear. They very often will say that when they take them off and they're still out in the sunlight, you know, they, they immediately want to put them back on because the vision experience they were enjoying was so much, much superior to not having them that they want them back. And, uh, we jokingly say one of the things we've learned over time is when people say, gee, can I try those? And you say, sure, and you let them have them. Sometimes it isn't easy to get them back. Yeah, it's like test driving a nice car. That all, that all bodes well, I think. That definitely bodes well. You guys have a great technology, something that people like. And it clearly, it went viral. I mean, your campaign was shooting for nine grand, and you more than 30 x that. What did you guys do in terms of marketing to make this Kickstarter campaign just be awesome. Well, I wish I could take all sorts of credit, but I'm not sure that I can because certain things happened that absolutely surprised the hell out of us, and, and I'll describe them. But the part that I think we did a good job with and that I, I think we can take some credit for and is important for anybody, I, I, would, I would put this into two categories. First thing is, your avatar or image, if you prefer to call that, I think that you need to put a lot of thought into what it is that you're going to put there. Because when somebody is sort of perusing through Kickstarter and they're looking at different projects, really the first thing they see, of course, is the image and avatar and then perhaps the headline. And you don't grab their interest in that roughly two to three seconds that you have while they're looking at you. If there isn't something there that makes a connection, they move right on to the next one. So I think that in our case, uh, something that was hugely instrumental was the tagline expression that we had, and we superimposed that right with the avatar, and that said, sunglasses on steroids. Now, I defy anybody to read that and not be just the least bit curious to want to know, well, what the hell is all of that about? You know, who do those people think they are saying something like that? It just absolutely gets people's attention and curiosity and gets them to click, and then that's the next step, of course. 
And so, with respect to the copy in the, the body of the project, I think that you go right back to copywriting basics. It's all direct response copywriting principles. It's marketing 101. There's no real secrets there. It's all in the execution. You have to have the proper components, then you have to execute them well in making that project copy presentation. So, that's the part of it that I think that we perhaps can say we deserve a little bit of credit. But with respect to the audience, this is what absolutely blew us away. We did everything that we've been told to do and had read books about it in terms of building up some kind of pre-audience, our sort of proprietary list and circle of influence. We had told people what we were going to be doing and when to expect that we would launch. We actually attended a boat show that were... Uh, took place three days just immediately prior to the launching where we let people try the military eyewear, handed out flyers that told them where they could go to Kickstarter to order the new sunglasses version. We did all of the kinds of things that we were told to do. So now the day comes and we, we press the button and our campaign goes live. And it just took off like crazy. I mean, within less than three hours, we had sold our... 50 allocated early bird special pair of eyewear. Those were gone in less than three hours. In less than one day, we've blown through our, our goal. Now, our goal was that's a whole separate subject. I think our goal is, is not in any way a very good indicator of what happened or what we were expecting, but that's a separate story. But it just kept rolling from there. And I was looking at the names of these people, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know who are. Where are they coming from? And so I started looking at the profiles, which you can do. You can click on the name of any backer, and of course most of them are handled, they're not real people's names. And it doesn't really tell you that much because that's the way they work it, it tells you where they're from, but this was the key. It shows how many Kickstarter campaigns these people have backed in the past. And I'm sitting there and I'm seeing 20, 30, 40. 50 campaigns that these people had backed. And I'm thinking to myself, geez, you know, this is like these people are Kickstarter groupies. And I'm thinking, well, what is it that makes them a Kickstarter groupie? And my take on that is that a lot of these people, other than the fact that they just, you know, like hanging around and seeing what's new and stuff, but they're what marketers call early adopters. These are people who like to be early on in finding and discovering something that makes them feel good, it makes them feel involved, it makes them feel connected. You know, it's like when you were a kid, you wanted to be the first kid on the block who had the new widget. And well, it turns out we had one hell of a widget, and people wanted it. And so, all of this tremendous traffic that we got as we looked at the metrics and stuff, the vast majority of it was all generated from within Kickstarter, from people who we had no previous connection with, but they liked what they saw, they are early adopters, and they lined up to participate in our campaign. So awesomeness just basically rose to the top. You had a great product, and people saw it for what it was and went for it. Well, I think, you know, that's a, a big part of it. Like I say, you, you can't take, I don't believe, exceptional credit for, you know, having done certain things with respect to tweaking the campaign or having developed some magic formula or anything like that. It was a combination of we had a good product, 
we had a compelling story to tell, we made a real good offer, and then we executed with, with, with uh, sound marketing principles. And then, uh, and then of course, the, the big kicker was, no pun, was the, the audience, the generic, organic Kickstarter audience, which is much, much bigger than I ever would have expected it was, and it is much more international than I ever could have imagined. By the time it was all done, probably at least 45% of all of our pledges came from people overseas. It was just remarkable. So, Kickstarter is not just a United States phenomenon. This is an international phenomenon. Yeah, crowdfunding is growing like crazy. And I think it's interesting. You describe yourself as a recovering lawyer. How did you get from that to becoming an entrepreneur to finally crowdfunding? How, what was the kind of progression? Well... As a lawyer, I always jokingly say I'm probably the most unlawyer-like lawyer most people will ever meet. I developed a very successful law practice, which in turn led me to developing two very successful law-related businesses. And all of that was basically geared to marketing. I, I tell people it's not that I was that much better a lawyer than anybody else was. I think I was a good one. But... When it came to marketing and, and just good business sense, I could run circles around most of my competitors. So I developed, as I say, not with only the law practice, but two businesses that are connected to the law. And I was able to sell two of those for some pretty decent money. And I still operate one of them on sort of a part-time basis, I guess. Say that I'm sort of semi-retired in that sense. But I've, I've always been very entrepreneurially driven. And I, I just love it. I find that that's fascinating. That's the way I want to live my life. I can't imagine working for somebody. And so, with respect to all of all of what Orion is, well, this fellow Kurt, he's my partner, is my best friend. We've been friends since we were teenagers. And as he developed all of what he was doing with his technology, I kind of served as general counsel for the company and kind of, you know, the sounding board and business advisor and all of that was developing. And then when we made the decision to take the technology into the commercial marketplace and created Orion Foresight as a separate company of which we are equal partners, then, you know, that, that is how all of that came about. And again, it was all entrepreneurially driven. So where are you guys going from here? We talked a little before the program. You're getting tons of interest from people, obviously, because your campaign blew up. You have a great product. What happens next? Well, the game plan has always been that we want to, first and foremost, create an internet online brand. Uh, I learned a long time ago to never say never, so I'm not saying that we would, under no circumstances, be interested in some kind of retailing exposure in bricks and mortar businesses, but that's probably not a direction that we're going to be very interested in going into unless somebody truly made us an offer that we couldn't do. But first and foremost, we want to create an internet brand for a host of reasons. And the first big step, in our opinion, to do that successfully is you need to go on Amazon. And that will be our next big focus, is to take the product onto Amazon. In preparation for all of this, I became a member of a group of people who sell on Amazon and follow 
the teaching of teachings of two particular guys who teach a very, very outstanding course about how to be a successful seller of your own products on Amazon. So as we led up to all of this, I became involved with that group and learned how to do all of the things that they so now we were poising ourselves to put all of that into practice, but the next step that happened just absolutely has shocked the daylights out of us, which is just all truly remarkable. Amazon has two different paths that a person could be potentially on when it comes to selling products on Amazon. The one that almost everybody is on is through what is called Seller Central. You have your products, you create your product page, you put them up on Amazon, you sell them, you have Amazon fulfill them through FDA fulfilled by Amazon, and that's the way virtually everybody works. But they have a whole separate operation that is called Vendor Central, not Seller Central. And that is where they go out as basically as pallet scouts, and they reach out to various kinds of product owners and say, we want to have a special relationship with you that is above and beyond what the normal relationship is that we have with people who sell on Amazon. And because of all of what happened on Kickstarter, that got their attention. Because, as you perhaps know, Kickstarter and Amazon have a relationship with each other. All of the pledges that are made on Kickstarter are processed through Amazon's payment platform. So they are very aware of what is going on on Kickstarter. And my guess is they probably pay pretty close attention to what is happening over there. And if they see something they like the looks of, as they did with us, they reached out. And we are now going to be part of the Vendor Central program on Amazon, which gives us huge advantages over anybody in Seller Central. Imagine a line with 100,000 people standing in it, and you're at the back of the line, and all of a sudden somebody says, you get to move to the head of the line. And that's just what's in the process of happening to us. So that's truly remarkable, and it is just going to be a tremendous coup for us. And so that's one example of what will be happening. Another phone call that we got just yesterday, and we have no idea where this is going to go, is Google called us. And they said, we've heard about what you're doing, and it looks pretty cool, and we want to sit down and, and talk with you and see what we can do to help you. Oh, wow. For all I know, all they want us to do is run Google AdWords and take our money. But <laughs> until we sit down and have a better idea of what it is that's on their mind, can't be certain, but, uh, you know, these are the kinds of things that can happen from a successful Kickstarter campaign that, you know, it, it, it develops a life of its own. So, Ryan Forsythe making the new Google Glasses, that would be an interesting interesting approach. Well, it's it's been something that we sort of said to ourselves, we wonder if that is possibly a connection that has a level of interest for them. Or if it's something very mundane, I, I, we just don't know yet. The call came in yesterday, and it was just an exploratory phone call. For all I know, it could have been a prank. I don't think it was, but time, time will tell. That's so exciting. That's awesome. You guys are absolutely killing it. I'm excited. I want to jump into the launch round now. How does that sound, John? Sure. Welcome to the launch round where we take our guests through a series of rapid-fire questions geared towards unlocking the inner inventor and entrepreneur in all of us. Get ready to blast off and unlock your inner potential. Let's do this. First question for you, John. You're a serial entrepreneur. How do you decide which opportunities to go for? I just have to go with my gut. At the end of the day, if it doesn't feel right or if it doesn't get me excited, well then... I, I just probably am not going to want to do it. It's, it's, it's hard enough 
to do under under the most optimal circumstances. And and one of the things that I think anybody who is an entrepreneur and has been for any period of time knows, it doesn't always work. I mean, I've had some I've had some you know real real rotten eggs that I've laid. The way you have to think of it is, if you're a baseball player and you only bat 333, one third for your years in baseball, you'll probably be in the Hall of Fame. So you don't need to always hit a home run every time up, and you won't. In fact, you will have failures, but you have to learn from your failures, and you have to resolve that you're going to stay in the game. That even if you have a setback and something turns out to be a rotten egg. Then you just learn from it, and you, you you wrap it up, and you move on. And so, you know, that's how I've always approached it. But in terms of what I decide to do, um, it has to feel right to me. I, I don't have any 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 touchstones that I can necessarily tell people that allow you to make the distinction between what seems to, to make sense to you and what doesn't. But it, you know, it has to make sense. It has to feel right, or Regardless of whether it turns out that you are right or wrong, you're never going to—it's never going to get an honest shot from you because you won't have really put yourself heart and soul into it. And you need to do that because there's there's no halfway measures in being an entrepreneur. You're either all in or you're not in at all. I love that. Go all in. Learn from your failures. If you're going to mess up, just keep going forward. That's awesome feedback for people. And as an entrepreneur, as someone who's clearly done a great deal, have there been any? entrepreneurial role models or heroes that you've had growing up or in your life that you would just love to be able to chat with, pick their brains? <laughs> well, I think everybody would have loved to have had a chance to sit down with Steve Jobs, but uh, that's, that's not going to happen. I don't know. I don't think of it so much as that. There's, there's a couple of books that I've read that were very instrumental in shaping some of my thinking. One is called The E-Myth by a man named Michael Gerber. I think anybody who runs any kind of business of their own, I don't care what it is that it does, that is an absolute must-read if you own your own business. So The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, that was transforming for me in the middle of my law career. It, it sent me in a whole new direction that was more entrepreneurially driven. It got me much better results. And then as to marketing... There's two guys who have written a series of books over the years that have been considered seminal in, in the marketing field, and that's Jack Crowd and Al Reese. And probably my favorite book is by Jack. It's called Differentiate or Die. And uh, I mean, how, how it's so perfect, yeah. That? Yeah, how perfect is that? And it really, it really says it all right there in that phrase. I don't care what it is that you are selling. If you can't find a way to differentiate it from your competitors and stand out, and there's tons of ways of doing that, but if you don't do that, then you are almost doomed to failure. And so that's that's something that, that is extremely important in my opinion. Especially in the age of the internet. There's so many more people launching businesses. It's so easy. You've got to be different. And you guys, if you go to artofthekickstart.com slash audible, you can get any of those books free on audiobook. And last question of the launch round, John. This is Art of the Kickstart, which means we love crowdfunding. We like to focus on that. Have there been any other crowdfunding campaigns that really pushed you towards Kickstarter, towards crowdfunding and building something awesome like that? Actually, there wasn't. I, I had 
very, very little knowledge of Kickstarter or exposure to it until I became enough aware to think that that was a path that could be followed that would be very useful to us, not just to raise some capital that, you know, any, any entrepreneur can always use more capital reserves than the given. But it also is a, is a marvelous opportunity to basically test market something that you have and get validation for it before you necessarily have committed enormous amounts of money to something only to find belatedly that, you know, this is, uh, this is a flag that nobody wants to salute. So that's, you know, one of the big driving factors that brought us to Kickstarter. But as I began that process, as I say, I, I got a couple of books that I read and, and I talked to a few people and uh, I was through just sheer set of lucky circumstances was hooked in with a guy who had a lot of knowledge about crowdfunding and Kickstarter and has actually served as a consultant for people on Kickstarter, mostly in independent films. That has been kind of his niche, but he had some experience with physical products and he lived right here and literally in my hometown and so all of that just kind of fell in, into place and, and his, his support and having him to you know, kind of keep focused and keep me out of blind alleys has been very helpful through the campaign. But I, I have not really examined in any in any specificity other campaigns or had any particular that I was exceptionally fond of. I mean, I certainly went and looked at a few campaigns that were clearly being successful to see what did their project page look like, what were the components of the page, how were they approaching it, you know, that was helpful, but it was, I was doing that strictly as a learning process. I, I, up until then, I was not somebody who spent time on Kickstarter looking at projects. It was all new to me. So you were the purely serial entrepreneur. You went about it and you absolutely nailed it. I think you guys did great. Let's jump back to your campaign. So it's over now. It's been a little over five days. You raised over just about $350,000. If you had to go back, what did you learn? What would you tell other people that are trying to launch their own campaigns? They can learn from your mistakes, your successes. What would you say? Well, I, I would say that it's critical, in my opinion, to have a great image and avatar with a tagline that absolutely commands people's attention, something that they can't ignore. It compels them to want to click through to look at your project page with nothing else than to say, what are those idiots up to? I don't care what it is that you do to attract that attention, but you've got to get that click through or whatever is behind your headline, which is also extremely important. And the image, people aren't going to see it. So I, I would tell people, think very long and hard on that. Come up with as many ideas as you can. You need to do some you know, testing by asking people. You've got five different approaches and asking which one they like. I would spend a lot of time on and then again, your project page has to be good. The video, uh, it doesn't have Hollywood quality, but it ought to be something better than, than just having been shot randomly with a cell phone camera. So, you know, get all of the good components in there. And then you need to think in terms of whatever your product is. Think, how can I frame a story for my product? It is going to have appeal to what I call the Kickstarter groupies, the 
people who love to be on Kickstarter, who love to be part of something that they see happening, that they can get behind. You need to think about that audience, and you need to tailor your approach to awakening that audience, because as we look at our final numbers, if our campaign had consisted only of the people that we had built as a pre-audience and had gone there and supported us, it would have been a mere fraction of the total numbers that we have. So that's important. Another thing you need to do, which we never stopped doing, was asking people who were getting behind us, don't just leave it there. We need you to go out and tell other people. You need to try to get your campaign to go viral, and one of the best ways you can do that is simply ask. That works wonders. So I, I would tell people you, def you definitely want to do that. With respect to the campaign itself, I'm sure that every campaign has its own kind of rhythm and, and way in which it unwinds. And because I've never done it before, nor have I ever looked in depth at the whole public comment thread of any other campaign, I can't be certain that others have similar experiences to us, but because we were in a technology field, there were a certain number of interested parties, fortunately a very small handful, who were quite certain that we were nothing but a fraud, and that it was their beholden duty to expose us to the world, and they got very confrontational and downright nasty. And it wasn't fun. When you're out there being a public punching bag, it's not, it's not a very pleasant experience. But what I can tell anybody is that a lot of those issues could be headed off ahead of time if you cover those thoroughly in your FAQ and constantly point people towards it. We had to continually revise the FAQ to update it and expand it to cover all sorts of issues that people wanted to talk about. And it wasn't that we had anything that was problematic or that we were trying to hide, it's just that we didn't anticipate that there was going to be this firestorm of people wanting to know all sorts of things about who we were and where we came from and who did we think we were and all the rest of it. And again, fortunately, it's just a handful of people. And eventually, most of those people voted with their feet. They left the campaign in part because... Tons of people who liked what we were doing, they rallied to our support. And they basically told these people, either shut up or get out of the way. And if you look at the Kickstarter critique, they say to people, in terms of Kickstarter etiquette, it says, don't be a jerk. If you don't like a project and you don't want to back it, move along. And that's basically what we told to the people who just insisted upon being confrontational. But you have to prepare yourself for that. I suspect I'm certainly not the only one that's had to deal with that in the course of a successful campaign. And the more successful you are, the more attention you draw, and the more idiots show up that want to, you know, show that they're the smartest kid in the room. I know I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of rambling on this thing a little bit. But, no, I think it's important for people to hear. And I've got a question. I actually had a, I actually had another campaign that was like this, the Quad Cooker with Ray Palermo, and he he said that people were posting on how his campaign was a scam, this, that, and the other. And he was getting all this negative press, but it was press nonetheless, and it actually helped lead to a lot of extra sales. Did you see any benefit to the negative press you were getting from people? I don't, I don't think that we experienced that. That's not my take on it. Maybe it's because I'm the one that was the punching bag, and, I, and, I, and I'm not able to see that as clearly as possibly was happening. But 
that's not my that's not my impression. I, I think that what it did was it sort of firmed up the support that we had. I don't know if it necessarily translated into business that we otherwise wouldn't have had, but certainly we developed a group of what I call my champions, who anytime somebody started really getting intense in their confrontational attitude, these people would basically jump right into the comment thread and tell these people to, you know, fish or cut bait. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much for coming on today, John. I think you shared a great story with an awesome product and really helped people learn a ton from you. I got one last question. Pitch your product. Pitch Orion for sight. You came on here. You shared everything. People deserve to hear about it. You deserve to get people coming back to your site, checking it out, supporting you, extra pre-sales, this, that, and the other. Just pitch yourself. Well, it's very simple. If it matters to you when you go outside to engage in any outdoor sport or activity and you want to have an edge in your performance then that's what we're all about. We're offering a vision-enhanced performance difference, and that makes it, it sets it apart from 99% of all the other sunglasses that are on the market. It's product-driven. At the end of the day, we pay our money for something that we think is worth having, and these sunglasses are worth having. It's as simple as that. Guys, look for them to be on the performance enhancement list for all the major sports coming up soon. It's awesome. It'll help you take your game to the next level. Check them out. Thank you so much for coming on today, John. You're very welcome, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Art of the Kickstart, where we believe makers, inventors, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and it's been a pleasure guiding you through this journey of creation and innovation. I hope you're inspired by this, and check out artofthekickstart.com to get more information and tactics to help you launch your own business, product, and dreams.